Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're talking about in football and, of course, in this particular January window. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, as always, it's our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. Today is Wednesday's podcast, which means it's your questions answered. And given the amount of questions, and of course we love receiving them, and of course trying to answer them as best we can, we're going to give you the news along with the questions as well, because everything is tying in quite nicely. We start with possibly the countryman of Mr Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Mr Seb Ustergren, who um, asks about what is news and what are you hearing about a United striker? Duncan, this is a, a big topic of conversation, obviously, especially in light of Marcus Rashford being out for between eight and 12 weeks. Uh, is there an update with regards to uh, who they're pursuing? Um, obviously, there was a game in France last night where Manchester United attended in order to scout a particular forward. Yes, that's um, the French League Cup semi-final between Lille, um, a club which obviously has a lot of talent and is renowned for having a lot of talent in their books and one that Manchester United have, have monitored for quite some time, and Olympic Lyonnais. Um, Lyon won. Uh, Moussa Dembele, who I think is the man you're referring to, scored one goal, set up another goal and scored um, Lyon's first penalty in the shootout to get them through to the final of what will be the final French League Cup because they're scrapping the competition after this season, a match that will be played in April. United sent a scout to the match. Um, I was hearing um, before kickoff that that scout was Michael Carrick, but I've not been able to confirm that. It would be interesting if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sent one of his senior coaches to the game, as um, we have heard that uh, United sent uh, Solskjaer and Mike Phelan to Lisbon um, to watch Bruno Fernandes before making their first offer for the player earlier this month. Um, Leon have certainly been preparing themselves, should a substantial offer, and we're talking about a really substantial offer now would be required to get Dembele out of Lyon in this window. Earlier this week, they signed Carl Toko Ekombe from Villarreal, who is a, a big, powerful striker with a reasonable scoring record in Spain, particularly this season. They've taken him on a loan with an option to buy at the end of the season. Um, I'm told he's not in the same class as Dembele and uh, and probably wouldn't be the long-term successor to Dembele were Dembele to move either now or in the summer window, which is a, a much stronger possibility and something that the, um, the players' representatives have, have certainly been looking at. But you see Leon, who are, who are renowned for being um, intelligent operators in the transfer market, kind of buying themselves an insurance policy there. Um, the president, Jean-Michel Olas, talked on the morning of yesterday's game to the press saying once again that Dembele would not be sold in this window, that the club had no intention of selling. I believe that's the fourth time he's gone on record to say that. Um, the word from around the club is that it would take a bid of over €100 million Euros, um, to get Olas interested. Um, and... I think the expectation is that that's not going to happen. Uh, Dembele himself made a rare visit to the mix zone um, after the match and uh, spoke to the press and was obviously asked about his future at the club. And what he said was, I am a Leon player and I will remain so until the end of the season. I do not think there will be a departure this window. Lots of things are being said. It's up to me to ignore that and remain concentrated on the pitch, which he's obviously doing with his, um, with his scoring and his general performance in games and obviously establishing himself and reaffirming that, that, that feeling there's been a, a, amongst a lot of Premier League scouts that this is a player who could operate for a top club um, in the, the future in the Premier League. Chelsea, we told you, had made an offer for the player which was rejected earlier in the window, um, have been one of those clubs that monitored from a long time. Manchester United have been in contact with 
players' representatives to um, reassure them of their interest in the player, but not, um, I'm told, to make any offer on on uh, contractual terms when it comes to Dembele. Or, um, as far as I understand, have they told Dembele's representatives that they will bid in this window? But I think it's interesting that they're sending a scout there to watch the player again when they are in this position of real need that's been pushed upon them because of the um, double stress fracture of the spine that uh, Marcus Rashford has suffered um, by it it very much seems by being overplayed and played through a uh, back injury potentially leaving Manchester United without Rashford um, if the recovery process doesn't go well for the rest of the season which leaves them with Anthony Martial who as um, uh, someone involved in football recruitment said to me last night is not the kind of player you want to rely on as your sole experienced striker for half a season, given his injury record and, and given his, um, his tendency to have something of a flaky personality. Um, and then the young um, Mason Greenwood, who has had uh, an exceptional first full season as a Manchester United first-team player, um, has clearly shown his talent for scoring goals, his ability to to strike the ball very early and accurately, has been catching out defenders um, in both domestic and European competition and goalkeepers, and and is showing that he is going to be a top level Premier League player in the future. But he's just turned 17 to put the weight of expectation of being one of the two strikers for Manchester United as they try and. Uh, um, stop themselves from recording their worst ever Premier League points total, which is what they're on course for at present, and try and get into the Champions League pay- places would be very, very demanding on a young player. So you can see why United are, you have Solskjaer saying that they may do something in the market and that possibly that will be a short term deal. Um, but while United have been kind of moved on from their stance, which has been one of we will only buy when the moment is right for us, the correct player for our um, cultural reboot strategy, as Ed Woodward likes to call it, to a situation where Solskjaer is saying, if we can find someone short term who suits us, we might do that to, to give ourselves options for the rest of the season. A lot of mentions as well, Duncan, from our listeners about Timo Werner, uh, obviously top scorer for RB Leipzig. My information on that particular situation is that Werner um, will not leave Leipzig in this window. Uh, He wants to stay and see out the season with the club who are leading the Bundesliga at this moment in time and remain in Champions League contention as well. However, as we reported consistently on the transfer window, and you all know this, Liverpool are his preferred destination and indeed Liverpool are in the box seat to sign him. But that would certainly be in the summer window to be completed. It's not ruling out that a fee might be agreed between now and then for the player. Uh, However, there will be no transfer of Werner until the summer. But Duncan, let's go to a different target and one which Austin has asked us about. And he's asked if there's any truth in the possibility of Real Madrid striker Milijovic joining on loan to Manchester United or indeed, I suppose, any other Premier League club because United are not the only one looking for a striker. Um. Luka Jovic is available on the market. Uh, Real Madrid have accepted that they made a mistake in signing him in the summer. Uh, I'm told they've put him uh, on the market, available for sale or for a loan with an option to to buy. They prefer it to be an obligatory option, obviously, in this window. So you're going to see a lot of talk about Jovic um, for the remainder of the January window because we have got multiple clubs looking for a striker and you have someone with a very, very good uh, scoring record in Germany before he moved to Madrid, available, um, not for cheap, but available, uh, and Madrid trying to get him off the wage bill for the rest of the season. Um, I, I, I'm sure he's been offered to Manchester United, I'm sure he's been offered to Tottenham Hotspur, um, but there are a lot of players in this situation. Um, I can tell you that United have made an inquiry about Christoph Piantek, the Milan striker who uh, Tottenham have also tried to sign in this window. Um, It's a similar situation. The answer from Milan to Manchester United as it was to Tottenham Hotspur, we won't loan with an option to buy. We'll only loan with an obligation to buy or sell now 
because Milan want to get their money back on a player they signed last January um, for a substantial fee. Um, other people who have been mentioned are, you, you talked on the Monday podcast about Edison uh, Cavani, um, who is out of contract to Paris Saint-Germain in the summer. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain would want a transfer fee, obviously, to uh, sell him now because they're not going to loan a player that they're going to lose in the, the summer regardless. But you are talking there about an individual who's got a fantastic scoring record, um, obviously would be suited to the Premier League in terms of his style of play and his physicality, but um, can, will be looking for a very, very substantial pay deal when he signs his contract with whoever he chooses to go to in the summer. Therefore, it's not uh, not by any means a, a straightforward process to get a player like that. Um, another individual that's been mentioned is Raul Jimenez at Wolverhampton. Um, obvious why Manchester United and other clubs would be interested in him because he's been exceptional for Wolves since becoming their first choice striker and showed he can score against anyone in the Premier League. Um, and also has talked uh, that he would be interested in in moving to the next stage of his career at some point. Um, what I'm told is that no way will Wolves sell him in January. Um, they, they see him as central to their plans to try and get, and they're still within range, um, I think level on points with Manchester United at present um, to get into the Champions League next season and also um, to try and win the Europa League. So while Jimenez, I think, is an option, um, should Manchester United be prepared to wait until the summer and be prepared to spend a very large sum of money on recruiting him because you will not get a player like Jimenez out of Wolves um, who are very well off for cheap. I do not see that deal happening uh, in the, the current window. And of course we have to speak because it now is traditional, uh, Duncan, about the saga which is becoming uh, almost as long and complicated as the Bible itself, that of Bruno Fernandes. Uh, Olsen has a new take on this for us, uh, another one of our listeners. And he asks, and of course, in the course of answering, Duncan, I'm sure you'll bring us up to date with the latest developments. Why are no other clubs interested in Bruno Fernandes if he really is the next big thing coming out of Portugal? Why have Manchester United no competition for the player? Not in the summer, not now. Isn't it strange? Is it strange, Duncan? It's it's a good question, and in many ways it gets to the heart of the issue um, and whether United will get the player in January or not. And it's something that's that's being discussed by sporting at present, um, by people who are trying to uh, make the deal um, that, that sporting want to get, which is um, they're aiming for at least uh, 70 million euros of revenue from this transfer, um, are discussing whether the better option now is for Sporting to wait until the summer because there are very significant clubs interested in signing him um, and creating a market in the summer when uh, they would hope that one or two of those clubs come in to compete directly with Manchester United for the player um, or whether Sporting compromise on their demands um, and accept uh, something close to the, the guaranteed 50 million euros that, that Manchester United have offered. Um, it is a very complex transfer and there, there are lots of bits and pieces going on here that mean it's not clear how it's going to be resolved. So you, you have the player's agent, Miguel Pino, pushing um, clubs uh, to complete the deal. and we, He would like the player to go to Manchester United he has had conversations, I'm told, with Manchester United over salary. And during those conversations, he informed Manchester United, I'm told that an offer of 50 million euros would be sufficient to get the player. And that is a, seems to be the point at which Manchester United decided they would not go above 50 million in, in their offer in this window. Manchester United know that no other club are making bids at the present. They've been informed by various people that Sporting have financial problems and need to sell. It's true that Sporting have financial problems and whether they need to sell in this window has become open to question because they have uh, this week concluded a deal for the Slovenia international striker Andras Sporar, um, a 7 million euro transfer fee from Slovan Bratislava. That has been taken as a sign that um, Sporting would concede 
on Bruno Fernandes and would sell in this window. My information is that Sporting have worked out a structure in which they can fund that deal um, without selling Bruno Fernandes immediately and wait until the summer, if necessary, to get more money from the sale and are being advised by certain people involved to do so. However, um, Bruno, I'm told, has has become problematic in the dressing room. I'm told that um, the sporting director at uh, the Lisbon club is concerned that should they retain Bruno for the rest of the season, that problem will exacerbate and um, bleed through the team. So part of their calculation here is can they find a way of keeping Bruno on board for the rest of the season should they continue to resist Manchester United's offer to take the, the player. player wants to go there. He'll get a very substantial pay rise to go there. He wants to get out now because he was thought he was going in the summer. Um, Sporting turned down an offer of 45 plus 20 million euros in bonuses from Tottenham. He was... Uh, promised by the club he would be allowed to leave in the next window but the president has, has subsequently subsequent to Manchester United's offer gone and talked talk to Bruno and said I'm sorry I cannot sell you for that price I cannot be seen to sell you for 50 million euros they will have to increase their offer or you're going to have to stay um, there's a lot of noise in Portugal that Manchester United are ready to increase their offer but you have to factor in here that quite a lot of that noise is coming from um, an unreliable source who has been pushing this this deal for some time. So I do not have confirmation. There's stories this morning that Manchester United are ready to go to 55 million plus 10, but I don't have confirmation from anyone um, formally involved in the deal that Manchester United have actually made that offer as yet. Um, what I can tell you is that Sporting, when you ask them, will you sell for 55 million euros? They say no. Um, the strong indication is that the, the the minimum amount they will take in this window is 60 million, and they would like to have 10 million of achievable bonuses on top of that. Where it goes from here, I think, is extremely open because you can you can probably understand from that that it's very fluid and there are a lot of moving parts and there are a lot of problems and issues to be overcome in the deal. But the latest information I have is that Sporting are seriously considering holding on to Bruno until the end of the season and then allowing those other clubs who have already expressed an interest in taking Bruno in the summer um, and clubs like uh, Real Madrid are being mentioned here, Atletico Madrid are being mentioned here. It has been said to me that Manchester City are also monitoring the player. Um, I don't have that confirmed from the Manchester City end. And we should remember that there were a lot of reports in the summer that Manchester City had agreed a fee of 55 million euros plus bonuses for um, Bruno Fernandes last summer, which were completely false. There was never any offer from Manchester City at that time. But... um, Sporting are being told you will get more money in the summer if you wait. Let's try and set up a scenario in which you're capable of waiting until the summer and sell the player then unless Manchester United offer you what you need now and then by all means go ahead and sell. As you all know, we pride ourselves pride ourselves on bringing you news uh, first and before anyone else and that's exactly what Duncan did when he reported Manchester United's uh, concrete interest in Birmingham City's 16-year-old midfielder Jude Bellingham. Um, now, this has progressed. Duncan, I understand. Catelyn, one of our um, listeners, has asked about the Bellingham deal. Um, if I were uh, sporting Lisbon, I must admit, Duncan, I would be asking uh, Manchester United, if you're willing to pay £30 million for a 16-year-old from Birmingham City, why aren't you willing to pay us what we want for Bruno Fernandes, who's a full Portugal international and uh, and must be worth at least twice Bellingham. Would that be fair? Uh, look, it's a fair question. I'm sure it factors into Sporting's thinking um, when they're they're seeing the reports, which you know we we had first on the on the transfer podcast that Manchester United have made such a substantial mm-hmm. offer for Bellingham. Uh, it's not going to make them any any more uh, likely to uh, compromise in their asking price for a proven um, international footballer who has been 
Portugal's uh, player of the year for the last two seasons. You can understand why why Sporting wouldn't like that. I, I can also understand why Manchester United fans are are asking questions about why they're prepared to bid so much for a 16 year old, but not prepared to um, bridge the 10 million euro gap in valuation they have with Sporting um, on their transfer offer for Bruno Fernandes. I think you've got to separate the two out. And I think from Manchester United's perspective, they do not see the deals as linked at all and don't want to see the deals as linked. This is very much United, a United that have focused on buying young players. We saw the way they operated in the summer market. They took um, three relatively experienced players because neither Harry Maguire or Aaron Wan-Bissaka had even played Champions League football before uh, and Daniel James taken from the Championship. They tried to get um, young players from Newcastle United in midfield and were involved in some uh, very substantial pricing by Newcastle United for uh, Longstaff, um, which they refused to pay. They've been looking at players like James Madison. They made um, approaches for Jack Grealish. It's they are very much uh, working in a market in which it's about young players, future um, potential, build something for the long term. Um, future FC, I've, I've heard them called, and I think it, it's appropriate given the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, talks in press conferences and and uh, and repeatedly says that. Uh, I can see good signs for the future and this is what we're trying to build and this is what we're trying to get to. Um, in the case of Bellingham, I, I like to assess this by talking to people who are paid to recruit players and who have uh, a reputation for having a good eye for players uh, and have a history, a track record of signing the right players and turning them into much better talents. And I have a couple of them saying to me, this player is very, very talented. And um, one of them saying, when I mentioned the £25 million bid that, that Manchester United had, had made to Birmingham for the player, they said, yeah, that is reasonable, particularly for a young English player. Um, I can see other clubs coming in. We, we talked to Monday that Borussia Dortmund are very interested. Arsenal um, are also interested in the player. Um, I think it's not impossible that we'll see an offer from Spain. Um, for Bellingham before the end of this window. Serie A clubs have also, also been watching them and we, we, we are seeing now Serie A clubs taking advantage of um, their tax laws for foreign players to target Premier League players. Obviously, you've got Antonio Conte taking a host of Premier League players to try and flesh out his inter-squad, but you've also got um, Tahis Chong's agent in talks with Inter. Um, and with Juventus over the possibility of moving him to Italy under freedom of contract in the summer and taking advantage of those um, those salary rules. With Bellingham, it's it's a, an interesting situation because the player and his father are very conscious about development path. They don't want to move to a club and be kind of stuck in the corner and have no access to first-team football. He's playing regularly for Birmingham he has got himself into this position where so many clubs want him because he's playing regular football um, they want him to be able to continue to play regular football so any club that um, seeks to do a deal are not only going to have to satisfy Birmingham City they're going to have to satisfy the player and the father that they're the right team to sign for and Birmingham City as, as we um, said on Monday uh, are want, want to retain Bellingham for 18 months. So they are um, prepared to sell. They're talking um, with a number of bidders about price. But one of the conditions is we retain him until um, the summer of uh, 2022, um, whichever way you want to structure that deal. And I, I think Birmingham are being clever here because you can understand that um, they would be offering the player the opportunity to sign for a big club, better his financial terms but continue playing for them for the next 18 months, which could be something that, that appeals to the Bellingham family and, uh, and could be the best outcome for all parties. Well, Duncan Spurs are just one of, well, almost every Premier League club who've so far failed to make any recruitment happen in this window. Very good question, again, from Stuart Burgess here 
who says, if it's so hard to do business in January, why do we still have a January transfer window? <laughs> well, uh, I think money is the, the short answer to that, Duncan. <laughs> Generates money. Well, the, when the transfer windows were introduced, obviously the, the, the prior situation was you could buy a player any time. Um, and it had problems for the competition because mm-hmm. clubs would take out the better players from their opponents. Um, you, you saw that particularly in in, uh, in leagues like Scotland where you had a couple of clubs with massive financial advantage over the others. And I, I remember on more than one occasion as a Dundee United supporter watching Celtic or Rangers go and take out um, one or more of our better players um, when the team was doing particularly well, particularly well or, or, or taking them out during the season when they were doing particularly well. So... The, the shift from being able to buy all the time to being able to buy in specified windows was um, they had the clubs wanted to retain the opportunity to change mid-season, and I think it is it's an important um, window to leave there uh, as clubs have um, worked with the system. You see more and more of them realizing that January is a very tough time to recruit because. Um, other teams don't want to sell their best players in that period. Players are reluctant about moving because it's hard to go straight into a new environment and a new team, um, particularly in England where there's very little training time at this time of year. So you're, you're not getting much opportunity to train alongside your players before you're being asked to play. Um, so most clubs now try and avoid recruiting in January. But on the other hand, it's important to leave them the opportunity to be able to recruit in January because you get situations like Marcus Rashford's at Manchester United and um, Harry Kane's at Tottenham Hotspur where there is an obvious sporting reason to have to um, to go and get a player in this window to try and uh, give yourself a chance to to perform and uh, and meet your targets for the season. So my answer to Stuart on this one would probably be more than anything else, Duncan, that a January window is necessary because of injuries to players, long-term injuries that could keep them out for the rest of the season, or indeed, as we've seen with Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford, the possibly the majority of the rest of the season uh, going into May, and the January window at least gives clubs the opportunity to buy a replacement or indeed loan a replacement for players like that. And if there was no opportunity to do that, then you probably see the um, significance and indeed the integrity of the competition compromised from the fact uh, that they would not be able to compete at the same level. So, well, yes, uh, we have seen some of the most spectacular flops in the history of football signed in January. Fernando Torres and Alexis Sanchez both come to mind, uh, just as two of that. I do think that the... um, the modus operandi that uh, UEFA and indeed the European leagues together operate is that this does at least open 31 days in order that clubs can do something. Although, as we started with at the top of today's podcast, here we are nine days left and still no significant movement. Um, And of course, that's partly because clubs are not willing to sell their best players halfway through a season. And also other clubs don't want to be held to ransom to um, either buy or sell best players at the same time. Moving on to Spurs specifically, Duncan, Tony Cardinelli has given us a very short and um, succinct uh, one to answer. What odds, he says, on Spurs signing someone, anyone? <laughs> well, they've already signed someone. The Jetson Fernandez is already there and I think had a a fairly promising debut uh, against Watford. He only got the last 20 minutes or so, but I think you, you could see the difference he made when he came on the pitch. The question, of course, is whether they, they sign a striker. Um, and it is a, a huge question at Tottenham at the moment. Um, I think Jose Mourinho is trying to bite his tongue on this. But um, from what I understand, there's a great deal of frustration uh, from Mourinho that he has not been provided with a striker by Daniel Levy as yet Um, and the the key reason for that is that Levy is only so far saying that he will take a striker on a loan with an option to buy 
um, not prepared to make um, an obligatory purchase either now or uh, a loan with an obligatory purchase in the summer. And that obviously is restricting uh, the options available to Tottenham. Um, Piantec is one of the players we know that they've tried to get. As we explained earlier, Milan don't want to do it unless there's guaranteed money involved. So that has uh, complicated matters there. There was an attempt to sign Zé Luis from FC Porto, but there's a problem with the player's passport. Um, Mourinho is, is pressing for this to happen. Um, and uh, I, I'm fascinated to see what the outcome is because we know Jose Mourinho's history with clubs um, I would say the thing that frustrates him more than anything else as a football manager and has, has been the cause of uh, the problems and conflicts he's got into at various clubs is when he is at a club where he sees an obvious football solution that should be implemented and it isn't implemented by the people in power um, he's gone to Tottenham trying to consciously trying to change the way he operates. I think you can see that very clearly from his press conferences, the way he presents himself, his reluctance to um, make controversial statements. Um, but I think knowing him for such a long time and the way he has um, operated throughout his career, I think that's a difficult thing to sustain. And I think a trigger point is is possibly close to becoming because you see um, a lot of criticism of the way he is managing the team, a lot of criticism of the way the team is playing. Um, you know, particularly saw that after the Liverpool match in which he, there were a number of reporters and a number of pundits arguing that uh, the way he played against Liverpool was incorrect. And that had he gone toe-to-toe, -to -toe, in the words of Tim Sherwood with Liverpool, then he would have had as much, uh, a better chance of getting a result from that game than the strategy he actually used, which actually was close to getting a result, actually resulted in, um, in Tottenham having more shots at goal than Liverpool during the course of the game and obviously having those two chances near the end where you'd expect the strikers to put them away right in front of goal. But he's working in an environment where he is not going to get um, the benefit of the doubt. People aren't going to say uh, in the main, well, look, he's without his best goalkeeper. He's been without the club's record signing, Tangi Endombele. He's been without his first choice left back, Ben Davis. He's lost the club's best player, Harry Kane, to injury. Um, he's lost Musa Sissoko, one of his important midfielders, to injury. It's understandable that they're not performing as well as you'd expect Tottenham to perform. And Tottenham weren't actually performing very well before he came into the job. It will be. He's outdated. He doesn't know what he's doing. He plays the wrong kind of football for the 21st century. Tottenham made a mistake. And Mourinho does not take that kind of criticism well. And after, after a while, I am sure that um, his tolerance... Uh, to that kind of criticism will evaporate if he is not able to turn the results around and if he's not handed the tools by the club um, to make it easier for him to turn the results around before the end of the season. Well, I hope, um, as always, Mr Daniel Leverage is listening to the Transfer Wonder podcast and uh, takes Duncan's words seriously um, because you have an opportunity to uh, give... Uh, Mourinho something that he needs and if not then yeah, you're going to have to accept the consequences um, we've managed to uh, get through quite a lot of questions already on the podcast uh, we hope of course you're enjoying hearing the answers and of course being informed uh, properly about what's actually going on out there one quick one Duncan for you on Wills which comes from Eugene Rabbi uh, going back to uh, I suppose a reference to Manchester United earlier which is any news on Wolves making preparations for Raul Jimenez's departure, either in this window or the summer? You already mentioned that Manchester United have a serious interest in Raul Jimenez. Duncan, have you heard anything on a possible replacement uh, for Wolves? Well, they've signed a, a striker um, this week, Leonardo Campana, the 19-year-old Ecuador international. Um, I'm told that is not, absolutely not a replacement for Raul Jimenez. Um, he's a player that they see uh, being able to develop into um, 
someone of sufficient stature to, to start for Wolves. Um, they wanted to secure him while he was available for a cheap price. Um, and the idea will be to keep him um, as backup to Jimenez uh, and have him training with Nuno for the rest of the season and then see how he develops and decide what to do in the summer. Um, I, I think you can't rule out the possibility that they'll loan um, Campana in the summer um, to give him first team football next season, depending on where their squad is. They also have an interest. Nuno likes um, Nelson Oliveira, um, striker at Olympiacos, and they're working to do a deal for Daniel Pudense, um, the winger at Olympiacos who scored against Tottenham in the Champions League earlier this season. I think they will probably complete the deal for Pudence. It seems that's that's headed in the right direction. Um, and it looks like the fee is going to be in the region of 25 million euros for him. And I think he will probably fit very well into um, Wolves' system. Um, Nuno is pushing very hard to get extra players in this window. He feels he only has 12 or 13 um, players in the squad that he can fully rely on and um, when he's had to make significant changes to the team their results have suffered and, and he wants to have more bodies um, for the remainder of the season and more bodies going into next season and, and there's pressure on the ownership to provide them with that one player they are uh, I'm told interested in is Bubakari Samari um, who has been linked uh, with a lot of clubs in Europe and is being scouted by a lot of clubs in Europe. Um, I think that would be difficult for them to do uh, because although Lille are ready to sell the player in this window, as we told you in one of the recent podcasts, um, Samari's agent is making that deal difficult uh, to complete in January and asking for a high percentage of the fee as a commission to, to go ahead with any sale to one of the clubs that Leo um, are prepared to accept offers from. And um, the feeling is that Sumari has an approach from a club that he would like to move to um, in the summer, who in parallel to the Bruno Fernandes situation, don't have the capability because of financial fair play factors to do a deal in January and are asking the player and his agent to wait until the summer when they can put a bid in um, for Sumari then. Chelsea are the latest uh, club to suffer an injury to their main striker when Tammy Abraham limped off of the Stamford Bridge pitch after the 2-2 draw with Arsenal, a game which saw Frank Lampard's team play against 10 men for 63 minutes and yet still come out with a draw. Um, El Kivo has asked the question, Duncan, referring to Roy Keane's comments last Sunday about why is it that um, Lampard is given time and is not criticised? Do you think Chelsea's inconsistency is overlooked and the manager is given the chance to work? And is it because, like Keane said, he is English or is it something else? I, th I think there are a lot of factors in play with this. I, it's, it's clearly the case that they've lost a lot of games in the Premier League. They've lost eight matches, um, which is a very high total for Chelsea at this point of the season. Um, they should have beaten Arsenal last night. I mean, they were easily the, the dominant side in the game. They were playing against 10 men for most of the match. Arsenal managed to score two goals with two shots on target or two shots they made in the entire game, um, which is a terrible situation for any Premier League club to suffer. But it's not unusual for Chelsea. There's a very interesting stat that Opta um, released this morning saying that Chelsea this season in the Premier League have conceded from 16%, 16 of the shots they've faced so far this season. And that's the highest figure in the history of the Premier League since Opta um, started collecting the statistic in 2003. So, um, obviously, Frank Lampard has a problem with his defence. Um, if you're conceding such a high percentage of goals from shots, the biggest candidate there is always going to be the goalkeeper. Um, I think you can see by watching Kepa that he is not um, the goalkeeper you would expect 
him to be given the huge transfer fee, the record transfer fee Chelsea paid for him. Um, and I think that was a bad bit of recruitment by Chelsea, um, not Justin. You'd expect Kepa to be a better shot stopper because he's a smaller goalkeeper. So if you're going to bring him a smaller goalkeeper to the Premier League who, who has trouble with aerial um, factors, you'd want him to be exceptional as a shot stopper. And he clearly hasn't been performing at an exceptional level as a shot stopper. And that's caused Chelsea problems. Does he deserve criticism? Well, they are in the next round of the Champions League. Um, they, as we all know, had no opportunity to buy players in the summer window. Um, they lost their best player. They sold their best player, Eden Hazard, to Real Madrid in the summer. Um, so there are a lot of factors there that make it difficult for a manager. And, you know, we've talked in the transfer window that perhaps not being able to buy in the summer was beneficial to Frank Lampard in some ways because it meant these are the players I have. I'm going to work with them. They don't have to worry about being replaced for the first half season. He didn't have to deal with the transfer market for his first summer, so he could concentrate purely on coaching the players. But in the round, it's not a great situation to not have that weapon available to you. Ultimately, though, they are in the next round of the Champions League. He's achieved that, and they're six points clear in fourth place, although their their points total is very low. Um, so you, you can see that it's an odd Premier League where there are a lot of teams bunched in the middle um, who still have realistic hopes of catching Chelsea for that Champions League place. And Chelsea have clearly been underperforming in terms of points total on a historical basis. They're where they need to be. And uh, I think that has insulated Frank Lampard from criticism to a certain degree. I think Roy Keane's point that he's English and that he's popular is also correct. Um, people like Frank Lampard, therefore, they are going to be less likely to criticise him. I think also they've played attractive football. They've scored a lot of goals. They play open. They play high risk. Um, you know, Someone pointed out that when they were 1-0 up last night against Arsenal, they had um, a high number of players in the box, uh, more players than you would normally place in the box in that situation, and fewer players sitting back to stop the counter. Obviously, you can't legislate for N'Golo Kante uh, slipping in the fashion he did to allow Martinelli to go in the length of the field and score. But if you have more bodies back, maybe that slip doesn't matter. So so I think, I think all of those things come together, and that's why there's been less criticism of Lampard. I hear people saying... Why doesn't Lampard get the criticism that Solskjaer gets? Um, well, there's another element there in that this is Lampard's first um, Premier League job uh, and it's just his second season as a manager. So um, we're still assessing and working out uh, whether he has the credentials to be a top Premier League manager and whether Chelsea have made the right decision to go for him. With Solskjaer, you look at his track record before he came to Manchester United and you ask yourself, why would they, why would a club of that stature ever employ someone whose um, previous clubs were working in Norway and getting Cardiff City relegated from the Premier League? So it's when things start to go wrong for someone like Solskjaer and they've gone wrong, certainly in a far more significant fashion than they have for Frank Lampard at Chelsea, then the, the, the question goes back to well, it, it was obvious that the man wasn't suited for the job, so that's just a mistake from Manchester United in the first place. So I think all of those elements are in play there, but I'd be interested to hear your view of, of whether um, Frank Lampard's had uh, an easy ride and, a, and an unfairly easy ride compared to other managers in the, in the Premier League. Um, I think the factors you mentioned, Duncan, are relevant. Um, what Roy Keane said was effectively uh, you're comparing two managers who have similar status at their the clubs they currently coach. Solskjaer, for all he was, super sub, etc., etc., achieved great success at Old Trafford as a player. Um, and Lampard, obviously, is undoubtedly a legend, the club's all-time top goalscorer, even though he's a midfielder. He won every European and domestic competition uh, on numerous occasions uh, in terms of domestic trophies with the club. Therefore, uh, the club itself knows that when they buy into 
that um, reputation and that history, the fans will be more tolerant of results. Uh, so I think there is definitely a reason why Solskjaer has been given uh, more leeway and also a reason why Lampard has compared to other uh, managers who find themselves in the situation that he finds himself in now. It's it's clear that he has an emotional um, attachment to Chelsea. Uh, the fans, the club, the administrators uh, realise that he came to the job probably too early. Even I think Frank believes that perhaps, ideally, he would have had more experience as a manager stroke head coach before this opportunity arose for him. But at the same time, um, when you have that history with and that emotional relationship with a club, no one doubts your commitment. No one doubts that you're not doing your best, which, of course, is an easy way of um, criticising managers who have no previous relationship with a particular club. You can just say, well, they're only here for the money, and if they get sacked and paid off, then they're quite happy with that. And at Chelsea, more than any other club, we've seen um, huge payoffs for several managers in the Abramovich era who who came and um, and failed, but on some who succeeded to a certain extent, but certainly left um, with very full pockets. That's not the case with Frank Lampard. He wants to succeed because he he has ambitions to be a top manager but also because Chelsea's his club. And um, where he goes after Chelsea, should indeed that become a, a factor, would be quite kind of difficult for him, I think. So um, there, there is definitely some tension at Chelsea at this moment in time with regards to um, the performance, but factors uh, like the transfer ban in the summer have to come into play. I think um, most Chelsea fans are surprised that we are 22 days into the January window when uh, the club knew well in advance that they would have the opportunity to purchase players and sell players in this window. And yet nothing has happened with regards to augmenting the squad and strengthening it. I think the injuries of Tammy Abraham in the Arsenal game uh, on Tuesday night will uh, further the urgency to um, get things done. But it's not just a striker uh, to help out Abraham that Lampard's been looking for. He's been looking for an experienced and um, commanding centre-back, possibly a left-back as well, if they were to sell Marcus Alonso in this window. Um, And also possibly another creative player um, on the basis that uh, there's a couple of players who are out of contract um, soon, William being the most prominent one. Um, We've got injured to Christian Pulisic, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi has been impressive but inconsistent and so it's like you, you cannot replace Aiden Hazard and I don't think anyone um, believes that you know it's a like-for-like like thing unless you're going for someone like Neymar but at the same time if you're going to give your head coach the best chance of compensating for the loss of Hazard you have to invest they couldn't do it in the summer they can do it in January but players aren't necessarily available lots of talk about Jaden Sancho and Wilfred Zaha though I'm told that uh, Lampard's interest in both those players is very limited because he doesn't believe that they are the right players to come into this squad. Um, so it will. I don't see him being in danger of getting the sack, put it that way. Um, I think you know he will be allowed to uh, see the season out, certainly, and definitely start next season fresh with uh, recruitments, with a new strategy, uh, with regards to um, the young players he has developed and um, adding... Uh, other players to make Chelsea stronger. The fact that he's still sitting in fourth place with the club in terms of Champions League uh, qualification is very much a boon. Um, and also they're still in the Champions League in terms of the round of 16. So uh, I take our listeners' point um, and I also take Roy Keane's point as well. But I don't think um, that Lampard necessarily getting any special treatment I think it's simply a question of circumstances coinciding to uh, allow him a better and, and bigger run at the job than perhaps other managers might have been afforded in, um, in, circ- in this similar circumstances. Look, it's, it's fashionable at present to appoint coaches 
who have been former players and have limited experience. And we've just seen Mikel Arteta get the Arsenal job. We've seen Barcelona offer Xavi their job and Xavi turn it down. You've got Frank Lampard at um, Chelsea and he's at least had one full season um, as a manager in the Championship before going there. There's no doubt he and Jody Morris, who's very important in terms of determining the way the team plays, have made uh, some basic tactical errors in the way they set the team out um, and those have cost the, the club goals but in the round they're in fourth um, and that's the target for the season so he's on course to meet the target for the season which is to qualify for the Champions League through the Premier League places in a very difficult season from a recruitment point of view what I think is very interesting to watch at the moment is what happens with recruitment in this window as you say they've taken a long time to do anything Frank Lampard wants players in um, it's obvious that they need players in and I think if Tammy Abraham's injury is as, um, as bad as it looked uh, last night and you know when Abraham got injured we saw a, an example of the naivety of, of that Chelsea team and that they, they played on when Abraham was, was hobbling on the pitch and Hector Bellerin took advantage of Abraham's inability to move to uh, jog, move inside him and put the ball past Kepa for the equaliser um, a more experienced team would have put the ball out of play. Abraham would have gone down in the pitch. They'd have got back into their positions. He'd have been treated. They'd have assessed whether he was able to go on or not in the game. Those kind of errors are, have been obvious in, in Chelsea's play this season. But how? perhaps the biggest challenge Lampard has is dealing with the board and dealing with Marina Gramsci and dealing with Roman Abramovich and finding out whether he is going to get what he wants in the transfer market or what degree of um, influence he has in being able to uh, veto certain transfers and, and go for and push the club to do other transfers. Um, and we've seen this story time and time again at Chelsea. It's resulted in lots of managers being sacked. Um, Lampard's a very intelligent man. I think he, he will handle this in a diplomatic fashion. I think his, his press conference um, performances when talking about the transfer market give you an indication of that. But ultimately, the way, the direction that goes and the, the ability Lampard and Jody Morris have in um, directing the path towards players that they feel will suit their system and improve the opportunity of competing for the, the Premier League title down the, right, down the line is going to be really important to the long term future because Chelsea bought themselves an insurance by bringing a, a popular um, former player in when the fans will will, uh, will stick behind but there will come a time if results don't go the right way if we have a Premier League season which you'd expect to have next season where more teams are um, competitive and I, I think uh, only four of the, the teams so far have won more than half their games and, and a lot are on for a very low points total historically. There'll come a time when Chelsea will be under much greater pressure from their competitors and um, Lampard, like every other manager, will need the proper tools if he's going to have the opportunity to achieve the targets that are expected of him by Roman Abramovich and, and Marina Granovskaya. Very, uh, I think, full answer uh, to that particular question. I hope, again, that uh, you appreciate that we try to not just bring you news on these things, but also uh, information analysis uh, on situations like that, which is currently occurring at Chelsea. This obviously is Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast, which has been your questions answered, but it also means, and of course, you've heard me say it, and I'm going to say it again, it's award season, so it's even more important that the donkey is, is there and up alongside that other golden statue, which no one cares about with regards to if they get it compared to the donkey. And uh, this week's donkey award is going to be presented by inspiration from a Brexit party MEP, Jun Mummery, who yesterday uh, tweeted that she was very kind of concerned about who would hold the EU to account with regards to British interests in the fishing industry, now that the UK is not going to be part of the EU. So we're going to call this the Donkey June Mumbry Award for being shocked 
how your own idiotic actions were in actual fact. You should probably not predict that particular circumstance. Duncan, I'm just going to open the golden envelope. Oh, it's a bit of a tough one this week to open. Maybe that's something to do with the transfer window, as in not the podcast, but the actual window itself. It'd be a bit sticky. Uh, first to be nominated, Duncan, is Manchester United for building a squad uh, for the season uh, so far with an inadequate number of uh, certainly midfield strength and certainly strikers. And of course, we have to add in the fact that we are, again, 22 days in the window and no um, additions have been made. Tottenham Hotspur for uh, pursuing an even more vigorous version of this self-immolation because their main striker Harry Kane is out for three to four months and of course they didn't think that perhaps this would ever happen and so have no backup striker who plays the same way as Kane causing them a lot of problems remember they have yet to to score uh, in this calendar year Uh, and finally Pep Guardiola for allowing Gabriel Jesus to take yet another penalty despite the fact his record in taking penalties is so poor. Duncan, over to you to choose the winner of this week's donkey. The uh, slap yourself in the face with a wet fish award I think is how we have to uh, describe it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. A wet, let's do the Scottish version. A wet kipper. <laughs> <laughs> takes an exceptional kind of idiocy to come up with a statement like June Mummery's yesterday, but then maybe we shouldn't be surprised of an exceptional kind of idiocy coming from the Brexit party. Um, We certainly shouldn't be surprised about Manchester United, um, and anyone listening to this podcast will have heard us talk in great detail about how poor the recruitment has been under Ed Woodward and Co, uh, since he took over uh, the ultimate decision-making on who they should buy um, and who they should give contracts to and who they should sell. And um, we're seeing it come home to roost once again in this window. Tottenham, um, yeah, I think I think they're, they're a stronger candidate because Daniel Levy um, has done very well in the transfer market and has built Tottenham into um, a team which has... Um, what many people think is the best stadium in Europe and what some people think is the best training ground in Europe and uh, into Champions League finalists last year. But uh, really bizarre to have just Harry Kane. Harry Kane so central to your team and no um, direct replacement um, for a player who we all know has a track record of being injured for a reasonable chunk of every season. Um, but I think this one um, we need to give to Pep Guardiola for his um, his faith in Gabriel Jesus. Um, I believe that's his fourth consecutive penalty, um, normal time penalty that he's missed. Um, I, and I believe he's missed six penalties in normal time in total since he became a Manchester City player. And you know, while other Manchester City players have not, had notable problems converting penalties, we have that famous Rihad Mahrez miss at Anfield um, last season, which cost Manchester City a win there. Um, you would think that of all the squads in the Premier League, um, the one where it would be easy enough to find an alternative penalty kick taker would be the super talented Manchester City squad. But for some reason, Pep sticks with Jesus. Um, maybe it's just a symbol of faith. Hey, well, I can I can say this breaking news because Duncan, um, someone who claims to be a former teammate of Jesus, uh, who calls himself Judas, said that um, he once saw him miss a penalty, and his response was, "So you can walk on water, but you can't score from twelve yards." <laughs> so there you there you have it, Gabriel. Um, Need to practice on those uh, 12 yard sport kicks. Uh, Pep Guardiola, well done on winning. I think this must be at least a hat trick, if not more. Uh, donkey Awards. Um, we will, of course, be having the end of season uh, donkey. A slam dunk, as we call it. A slam dunk, indeed. A slam dunk, indeed. Well done, Jade. Uh, we'll be having the uh, end of season when we invite all of the, um, the main uh, multiple winners to a very, very plush ceremony and dinner uh, in. Dundee uh, for uh, to give out the actual awards and I'm sure we'll run a competition for you guys out there to join us for that um, but don't hold your breath uh, 
you've been listening to Wednesday's transfer. Is that going to be a reenactment of the famous scene at succession at the uh, the V&A waterfront? Oh, I I think it should be when, uh, yes, when they 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 told uh, Brian Cox that they'd bought the Hearts, and he said, "Well, that's funny because I'm a Hibs fan." So let's let's go for that one, Duncan. I, I totally agree. Let's do the V&A. Uh, I'll, I'll call them down and hire it out. Um, this has been Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast. If you want to catch up with Succession, please do so on your box sets. But if not, then please just stick with us for all the latest in your Transfer Window news. Uh, you can get in touch with us and keep the debate going, of course. Our social media handles are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook, Duncan Castles is at Duncan.Castles on Instagram. Uh, you can also contact us individually at our Twitter handles. That's at Duncan Castles and at GarboSJ. Thank you very much to so many of you who have given us such brilliant reviews on Instagram. Uh, also, please keep doing that, but also do it on iTunes by logging in, putting the five stars down. We expand the community. And we're very pleased to tell you that we're on schedule for breaking all of our previous records with regards to listens in this window and over the last two years that you've all been part of our wonderful community. Keep it up, guys. We love uh, just you guys getting in touch, engaging with us. As I said, we will endeavour always to keep you up to date and give you the news before it becomes news. We will see you back here uh, through the transfer window on Friday. Until then, thanks for listening.